0: Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. I'm Alex McCumbers, and today we're doing a pretty cool little special. I love doing these developer interviews, and so we've got... A project that I actually wasn't aware of until here recently, but after doing a bunch of research, pretty excited about it. So today we have the developer of Drake Hollow, but before we get to that, I gotta introduce somebody who's partnering with me on this, because we're doing kind of a a cross thing between our two websites. I've got Mr. Andrew Peggs. Hello, how's everyone doing today? Andrew, how you been, man? It's been a bit. I mean, we talk all the time, but not on voice hardly as much as we ought to. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, Mainly, you know, I work healthcare. So when I'm not running the site, I'm working hospital quite a bit. So enjoying what days I do get off and gaming as much as I can.
0: Well, yeah. And I, I know I've told you this in private, but I do just want to reiterate that. I mean, working in healthcare is super important right now. So I just want to thank you on behalf of me and anybody that I might stand for. Oh, yeah. So we definitely appreciate what you all are doing, especially in these trying times. But before we get to our guest, I want to touch on some things that we got going on on Forever Classic Games. Obviously, the the lockdown and the pandemic has definitely affected a bunch of production, but we've got some cool things going on. So by the time you listen to this, there will be a review of Chasm, a kind of cool little Metroidvania with some random elements. It's a fine Metroidvania is kind of what I call it. And then I've also got a review that will be live by now called Dungeon of the Endless. This is a, a, a pretty classic PC game that was really interesting on Steam. It's now coming to consoles, and I've played the Switch version, so that's pretty neat. And then, of course, if you haven't already listened to our Final Fantasy VII Remake Deep Dive with me and Marshall... That is a fantastic podcast episode, and I highly recommend you check that out. And so, Andrew, what have you got going on Maroon's Rock? Because we're staying pretty busy over there, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, recent reviews from us include the recent NIS America Disaster Report 4, Summer Memories. Joseph's review of Yakuza Remastered Collection which is three, four, and five. We also did a review on Final Fantasy 7 Remake. We did a review on Jay and Silent Bob, Maul Brawl, Void Bastards on the Nintendo Switch, as well as... That was as, me. Oh, Yeah, it was you. <laughs> I was, wasn't sure if I should mention you. <laughs> Curious Expedition, and Infliction Extended Cut. And we do have more coming up, including Dungeon of the Endless as well by the time everybody r- listens to this show.
0: Yep. And then we'll also have a written preview of the game we're going to talk about today. So, all right, let's introduce our guest. We have the studio head of the Molasses Flood, which is an indie game studio most known for their the release of Flame in the Flood back in 2016, 2017. They eventually did bring that to the PS4 and Switch, and they're now working on this new release, a survival game called Drake Hollow. So we have Mr. Forrest with us.
2: Hey, how are you?
0: Pretty good, pretty good. Now, Forrest, how do you pronounce your last name?
2: Uh, Dowling.
0: That's what I thought, but I, I hesitated for a second because I wasn't sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, it could be like a doling or something.
0: That I knew as yep. soon as I said it, it would that would end up what it would be.
2: <laughs> I would not be bothered. That would be totally fine.
0: Cool. All right. Well, let's get to know you a little bit, Forrest. Where are you from and and what do you do?
2: So I live in Boston. That's where we're based. And uh, I'm a game designer who has become a you know studio director. In recent years,
0: very cool. And as just kind of a to kind of figure out exactly where we're sitting with the actual development team, how many folks do you have working on, say, this particular project, or just kind of on a day to day basis?
2: Right now, it's on our core team. It's 13 people,
0: okay, right now
2: that are working on it. We also, you know, we've worked with a lot of outsourcers and whatnot over the life of the project, and we're working with a big QA team right now. So I actually kind of have no idea how many people are working on it right now. (laughs) when you take into account like localization and and you know the QA folks that we're working with
0: and that's not bad either do you guys usually work out of an office or is it specifically remotely
2: yeah typically we we sort of do a split thing we have an office we ask everybody to be in there a couple days a week and then work from home is an option the other days of the week but you know right now obviously we're all work from home all the time Hmm. but it's not been tremendously disruptive for us just because you know we're kind of used to it anyway
0: I feel that a lot of game devs and projects are very used to working from home because i know several projects that actually just exclusively work through discord
2: yeah i mean i think it's less common when you're talking about like triple a or, or big you know when you're working for a big publisher a big company where they have a lot of security concerns it's a lot harder to yeah. do work from home but as it turns out they actually can they just didn't really have the the nudge that they needed to make it happen until you know recent months
0: Cool. And you did mention some of the larger projects and it never occurred to me until listening to another podcast, which was the, let me find my note here, the Boss Battle podcast, which I think is fairly well either a project that has moved on or has since stopped producing episodes because they stopped in about late 2018. But anyways, you and Gwen Frey were on that. Is she still on this project?
2: Nope. She moved on and is now doing her own thing. She did a game uh, that launched back in the fall called Kine which was a sort of a musical puzzle game.
0: Very cool. But
2: yeah, she's doing her own thing now.
0: Excellent. And the reason I brought that up is because in that interview, you guys talk a lot about your past work with Bioshock Infinite specifically. So let's get a feel for kind of what your career has kind of looked like up to, up until now, because that's kind of where I'm aware of it, is kind of uh-huh. starting with Bioshock Infinite and then moving into fo- uh, Flame in the Flood. Mm-hmm.
2: So it starts a little earlier than that. Professionally, I got my first job in games in 2006, working at a studio called Chaos. Um, they're based out in New York City for the defunct, now returned THQ.
1: I was just about to mention something. And I'm like, why does that ring a bell?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I was a, a level designer on Frontline's Fuel of War, uh, which was okay. their first title and then became a lead level designer on Homefront, which was uh, sort of a follow-up to that. And from there, I ended up kind of seeing the writing on the wall, I guess, and took a job at Irrational, uh, where I worked uh, as lead level designer on Bioshock Infinite. Oh, nice. So that's like the super short version.
0: <laughs> right on. So a lot of first-person work, some AAA stuff, and if not AAA, then it's kind of some like AA work.
2: Yeah, we'll say we were aspiring to AAA, but didn't mm-hmm. have maybe like the <laughs> the budget or the the uh, experience to achieve it
0: I'm, I'm like deeply fascinated by how a lot of people that have either touched either looking glass or irrational or just bioshock and those developers in general and how far that kind of has spread throughout the industry it's really fascinating to see just all these different folks are like oh i worked on bioshock <laughs> and i'm doing this yeah. like super cool thing
2: well, I mean, it's it was a small studio that did the first one, and then a medium-to-large studio that did the second, and an even bigger one that did the third. And they all shed people along the way. So, you know, the, Irrational didn't close after the first Bioshock, obviously, but, you know, 2K Marin basically shed everybody after Bio 2, and, um, you know, Irrational obviously shed everybody after Infinite. So it's, it's given us... It certainly helps kickstart a diaspora of people when you close down there place of employment but yeah also i yeah it goes way back to looking glass for sure and i i don't really know why i think maybe there's just uh maybe it's like a hiring philosophy or something like they just find people that have the sort of drive that they end up wanting to do their own thing Mm -hmm. but i have no idea
0: there was something good in the water for people involved with bioshock or system shocker for some reason i always run into projects and they're like oh we used to work on that that's fascinating
2: Yeah, I mean, I sort of felt like my time at Chaos was like video game college or something. Okay. Where like I was sort of learning the the art form and whatnot. And then my time at Irrational was like, I'd say like grad school.
0: Very cool. And now let's get into kind of the, the where you're at currently, the Molasses Flood. So how did that kind of get put together? Because it, I mean, obviously you guys were doing it out of a need because of the the displacement. But what is your kind of like, reflection on that years after the fact.
2: I mean, it was sort of like, you know, some people want to, you know, start a game studio or something or start a business. Like these are the sort of the two drives that might lead to this just sort of intrinsically. Like I just, I really want to, you know, make my own games and this is what I, you know, my drive. So I need to start my own studio because I need to do my own thing. Or, you know, a lot of people are just like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own business. I've always wanted to do that. So this is what I need to do. In my case, it's not really either of them. Like I was pretty happy being like, Uh, being a design lead within a larger structure but it just so happened that there was no work in Boston at the time Mm. that Irrational closed and there was a lot of talented people a lot of people I really liked working with so I kind of thought well I don't think there's really going to be a better time to try and start a studio than right now and additionally like the folks I was talking with about work at the time it was doing a lot of the same stuff like uh, you know Bioshock Infinite was a really critically well-received title. It was very unlikely that I was going to end up on a position at the same level, even, or as stepping up, you know, to like maybe a director role or anything like that on a project that was as good, you know, because there just are maybe one or two a year (laughs) for which that's the case. Yeah. So I was kind of like, well, I could do essentially a sidestep, something lateral, or I could do my own thing. And fortunately, there was enough other folks that, uh, had been let go from a rational or were in the area or, you know, maybe their circumstances were such that they were able to take the same risk and take the same jump. And, um, that's essentially what happened. Like it was a really, it was a, it was a really exciting, cool time.
0: Now, are you guys kind of sticking to that same core of people that started this project to begin with? Or, I mean, we already know that, that Gwen has moved on to different things, but are you still kind of like with that same group?
2: Half of us. Okay. Um, there's definitely been some, there was six of us initially. Gwen is, you know doing her own like basically solo studio at this point, uh, where I think she's got just hired her first employee recently. one of our engineers has gone on to work on like VR stuff and our former art director is back at uh, I think this is all public now cloud chamber mm-hmm. the title the company the 2K studio that's working on something that I don't think they can talk about. Or I don't know what's been said about it, so I won't say anything about it, aside from (laughs) that's where he is.
0: Hey, that's fair.
2: So yeah, we've got three of the founding members are still at the studio, myself. Damian Isla, who uh, I met on working on Infinite. He was an AI programmer, but his sort of claim to fame, or the thing he's most known for, was being AI lead on Halo 2 and 3.
0: Which just came to PC.
2: Yeah, I know, I know. It's still... Still a going concern. And uh, Chad LeClaire, who was a, a senior artist on Infinite and uh, who I've been working with actually for over 10 years now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm realizing. I, it It just occurred to me, I meant to say something like a month ago when I it was like, oh, 10 years ago today, I started at Irrational, which was the first day I worked with Chad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just occurring to me now where, you know, in the process of finalizing and shipping a game, it's A lot of stuff that's not relevant to that slips the mind in this particular stage in development.
0: Very cool. So what would you say the design philosophy or like your core fundamentals would be of a Molasses Flood game, at least so far with the two projects?
2: Well, I think I suspect we're going to stay with this idea through everything we do, because it just fits like what I'm interested in and the scope of what it, it makes. it. It's like a a way to fit the scope of what we want to do with the sort of games that I think are interesting. And that's essentially that we want to make games that live at the intersection of systems and heart, which is to say we want to build games that are systemic and replayable. And the the bulk of the, the vast majority of the gameplay is built on strong core systems that are just fun to interact with. But we want to do that in a, in a setting that has, you know, maybe a story certainly has a sense of place, a sense of character something that feels unique about it you know i i don't know if that answer makes sense but it does to me <laughs> in no, terms of you. like thinking about what we what we want to do i like i think the flame and the flood embodied that like it was a systemic survival game that had very light narrative elements but told the story the thing we're doing now drake hollow is very much like a systemic Not, i wouldn't call it a survival game like sort of a building Game, I guess, or like a strange kind of city builder, right? But again, what you guys have been playing is just the sandbox. But really, it's there. There is a narrative. There's a story to it as well, and I think a lot of character.
0: While I was playing this, uh, it's it's like a an early access kind of demo build, is what I'm imagining. Yeah. But yep. While I was playing, it definitely felt like there are elements that could use for a cool narrative, especially whenever Mm -hmm. you're wandering in the islands and you see like. A building off in the distance and you're like oh that looks like a typical american like structure how does Mm -hmm. that fit into this world that is now strict with these like monstrous beings and these weird little mandrake guys
2: yep 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 that's so that's the story that you're you're sort of uncovering but also you know as somebody who's spent a big chunk of his career up to this point like before the molasses flood working on really intricate scripted sequences and whatnot I just find that stuff to not be particularly interesting to do from a development standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, you spend all this time just making something that people, you know, blast through guns blazing, and it just doesn't feel like... If you want to be a small team, that's not a very... Not a great way to work, <laughs> basically. Right. So that's why I'm much more interested now, and, in like, how do we tell a story around systems, and how do we invest most of our time in the systems uh, that people actually play with? And, you know, in Drake Hollow, even, is a storytelling mechanism we're using some 2d cutscenes here and there uh to sort of push the story along like sort of motion comic style just because it's like it's really expensive and time consuming yeah. to make that stuff and i i think that like players generally would rather we'd be spending our time on the stuff that they're actually interacting with the vast majority of the time than like the little cartoon that they you know will see once and skip over forever more
0: right now, there is something to be said about the power of a cutscene, because I'm still, to this day, looking up old Final Fantasy IX footage.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. and I yeah, love yeah. I love a lot of, you know, heavily scripted narrative games. I love to play them. I just personally don't want to make them. Yeah, <laughs> right <now>. Totally
0: fair. <laughs> I can only imagine the amounts of, like, extra effort have to go into that. Before we get into Drake Hollow, I do want to touch on just a little bit of what your current thoughts are of the release of the flame in the flood, something that I've seen, but never have played myself. And then mm-hmm. what was your like, kind of what is your reaction to that being out in the open? And then I was also curious if like the switch version typically does better than the other ports. Cause it, I see that a lot in Indies.
2: Mm-hmm. In terms of the reception, like it was sort of this really up and down thing with the flame in the flood. Cause I think we were definitely initially disappointed with the launch. Like it just didn't, sell all that well which you know kind of precipitated the team is smaller now or was smaller following that as people left and whatnot right because you know it's it's tough launching an indie game but it it found its legs over time for sure and has actually ended up doing really well and i'm really happy with sort of how it's viewed at this point where i think uh, you know initially nobody had heard of it at all but now at the very least in the world of games people like i think people have heard of it and generally have positive feelings about it which is nice like it took maybe a year and a half but i was out you know at a restaurant wearing a flame the flood t-shirt and for the first time somebody i had no idea who they were saw the shirt and was like oh my god i love that game and i was like this is <laughs> finally happened that's amazing because you know you i would go out wearing irrational game stuff and you'd always see people who were like oh my god do you work there
1: right But it is always nice for any indie developer to get recognition on their game, whether it's shortly after release or it's like, hey, it's a year later. Hey, here's some good thoughts.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, we don't make these things for ourselves. You know, we make them because we want people like we have something we want to say or something we want to do and we want people to experience it. And uh, even if it didn't find success initially, immediately it did longer term. And, you know, the point now where millions of people have played the game and that's, you know, amazing to me because. Like I always think of it in terms of the effort you spend in these fleeting lives we live and how it is then spent and like what you put into the world and to think that like I, I, you know, worked for 20 months on something. But then that 20 months has become like, you know, a million hours of in people's lives, I think is kind of a, a neat thing to think about.
0: And do you find that you have more players and, and purchases on the Switch copy?
2: We did. Sure. Yeah, okay. the Switch copy did great. I don't know if that's still the case. I mean, like, I know what our numbers are, but I don't know if that's still the case for newer titles. Like, the Switch is... Well, when we came out, it was within the first year of the Switch, and there were still Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, 10 or so titles launching a week, if that. And it's definitely very different now. Like, my understanding and talking with folks who, you know, indies who have titles on the Switch is like, it's great and you'll do good numbers with it if you've already been successful elsewhere, but it tends not to be, like the platform where you know if you failed everywhere else this is where it'll work it's not know. as
0: explosive as it was within those first couple of years then
2: huh yeah yeah for sure well and you know it's one of the things um where yeah. you're competing like when you're on a platform you're competing not only with the stuff that's out and new that week but the entire back catalog so like right the longer and longer something's out the bigger and bigger the catalog that you're competing with is so like you know we came out and we're maybe you know one of 300 games and now we're one of three thousand, uh or something like that so you know the the choices just get deeper and deeper over time
0: i mean look at steam <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, uh, yeah sure. some steam. other problems but yeah, if that, oh, yeah talk about oversaturation of a market i try to think of games more laterally like of course you know i'm the type of person that works in games media in their spare time and so i am always chasing you know the new hotness or what did i miss but at the end of the day like i'm playing games that are 20 and 30 years old for the first time like i just recently touched system shock 2 for another podcast that i was on
2: yeah yeah
0: so shout outs to the here's johnny podcast that was a fun time and then i just played metal gear solid for the first time so i'm so fascinated by how long lasting games can be and i do typically see things that are more system-based last longer than others or things yep. with a unique art style are you gonna say you've never played perfect dark no, I've never touched it. Okay. No, I take that back. I fired up Perfect Dark Zero I think once cuz I have like 3 copies cuz they were a dollar and I thought the art cover was cool when I worked at GameStop.
2: I I tried it recently in the Rare collection and that that's an era that doesn't hold up so great.
0: No, there are great classic first person shooters. I'm not a big fan of those ones.
2: <laughs> I think the N64 era in shooters in first person shooters was like was fun at the time but definitely does not yeah a hold up in my opinion except the for doom way that maybe... 64
0: doom 64 here is very good and i have a I, PC I have copy. heard
2: that i've heard that and maybe with mouse control it would work oh, don't yeah.
0: forget about golden eye yeah well i mean golden is it's cool until you revisit it as an adult and you're like man 15 frames per second sure is frustrating <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm glad that that design those design elements carry into other titles well let's get into to drake hollow so how did this project kind of get started and what sort of things are you kind of targeting specifically with this design?
2: So it started like in a really sort of roundabout organic way in that it actually started as just kind of a like, what if we did Flame in the Flood 1.5 and fix some of the things that we didn't like about it or that we thought we could do better. But in the kind of process of doing that, we just started, you know, cleaving parts off of it to the point that it's a completely different game. Like questions come up along the way, like, do we really need a river? Uh, and then you know that's it's not the flame of the flood anymore it's not like a game about surviving a river so initially the main driving thought that i had is that i felt that i wanted to work on something different than a survival game because i feel like survival games are really punishing right because like survival games are kind of like you have four damage over times on you or however many your needs are at all times that you're always just mitigating and can never cure so i think there's like a baseline level of stress to them And also tuning a survival game, at least like the Flame of the Flood in my experience with that, sort of the balance tuning is is a real razor's edge and you end up with like it kind of needs to be hard or it stops being fun, at least if you're doing like sort of a pure survival game. That makes sense. And I wanted to do something that was not as punishing because that's like the main piece of feedback that we got from people about the Flame of the Flood is, you know, it's beautiful. It's too hard. And, you know, we did like some patches and updates to kind of mitigate that, but like there's only so much you can do because if you take the difficulty away, there's not really much of a game left there. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to do is try and create something that was more expressive, like allowed for players to have far more expressiveness in like what they build and what they do. And I wanted to try taking the survival stuff off the player and put it on like abstracted out a degree and have them be taking care of an NPC of some sort or NPCs. And that's kind of where the game started. And obviously, you can see that's essentially where it's ended up.
0: And so to kind of get people to what we're talking about that are maybe coming to this title for the first time, first of all, there's a trailer that'll tell you pretty much exactly what you need to know. But there's these little critters that are kind of similar to Pikmin called Drake's which I eventually came to realize is short for Mandrake. They're like these little plant guys. And so you're taking care of them. You're gathering them up as you like explore this world. And there's this like kind of fog stuff that makes these little islands. And so entering the fog will damage you over time, but you can use things to get through the fog various ways. And so you're, you're kind of like building this little village of drakes and making supply chains. And it, it's just the, the drakes in particular I find really cool. Because one, they're cute as shit. (laughs) And for two, they're just like, they do all these weird little things. And so how did the designs of the drakes kind of come about?
2: Well, we knew, like, right off the bat, we needed, we wanted to do something that wasn't human at all, but wasn't fully animal. So we sort of landed on the idea of this kind of vegetable creature. And there's, like, a lot of different... Reasons for that. I mean, one of which is like you're sort of there, commanding and building and stuff for them. So like we want it to be like completely. Yes, yeah, because they're actual vegetables. You know, like they cannot take care of themselves because you know there's like a lot of narratives and whatnot about like <laughs> you know people coming into the native land and then like showing them how it's done and whatnot. And there's some narrative stuff that goes against that as well. But I just really wanted to avoid that kind of story, right? And also, it's really important for players to actually care for them. Because if you you don't care for the Drakes or if you don't care about the fact that they can die, you know, if you don't feel anything when they do, we don't really have a game there because like literally the whole game is taking care of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We did discover sort of over the course of development that we really, really did need to make them power you up to (laughs) to create that bond because video games, uh, it's just sort of how, you know, people uh, work. With, yeah, with and each sort of, of them thing.
0: have a specific buff that can be leveled up and then you can have multiple buffs once you get to a certain point. So there's certainly yeah, an incentive yeah. for having them around. Yeah,
2: and like the more you have and the, the more you've aged them up, the like the more health you have and that sort of thing. Yeah. So those are actually like relatively recent additions, which I think occurred pretty late but are sort of what actually glues everything together and makes the game make sense which it didn't before you know it's sort of the design processes involves a lot of discovery like it's like doing uh science you have a thesis and then you do your experiment and then you determine if your thesis was correct or not and typically it's not and you you know need to come up with a new
0: one yeah
2: but yeah the design process was a long one they've been sort of went through a ton of different concepts for them we've had different iterations on their models and uh have continued to like, gone through, like, a couple complete redo revisions, and then the ones that we landed on now have just been getting kind of tuned and tweaked for months throughout development by, you know, our our artists as they are just trying to, like, dial in the cuteness, uh, as it were.
1: Very cool. Is there any expected number of Drakes we'll be able to find in the game? Or would it be a limited amount?
2: Well, there's, like, there's 27 total types of Drake, in terms of, like, their buffs and their affinities and whatnot. As far as, you know, how many you can you can actually find, we don't actually cap it. We probably need to do some sort of hard cap, just because in, like, a sandbox game, you can't have an infinite number of AIs running around. <laughs> and they all kind of cluster together, which makes it a little harder. But, you know, in a typical campaign, we we figure, like, camps will cap out at around 20 or so.
1: Okay, okay, that's good. But uh, there's a few questions I have. One includes... Uh, is the game going to be fully open world? So if I see a, okay, I was looking through the demo build and I noticed a, I think a lighthouse in the distance. Am I going to be Mm -hmm. able to get to that lighthouse at some point in time? Or was that more cosmetic in the distance?
2: Nope. If you can see it, you can go there. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, we, so we have like what I call Pac-Man (laughs) wrapping basically (laughs) where like, if you hit one side of the map, you just warp to the other side of the map. Oh, Which, I mean, there's no reason to do that aside from like to verify that what I say is true. Like there's it's not really a shortcut, but the the base map itself is about like three kilometers square. Cool. And and functionally, the way it works is like that you actually can churn through that content in, you know, uh, a number of hours. So, you know, in campaign, you travel through four different regions as you play. Uh, In each one is, like, is newly generated uh, as you travel.
0: Kind of similar to what Dragon Quest Builders did, where you would complete your objectives and it would load you into a new, like, region, essentially. Yeah,
2: yeah, certainly.
1: Uh, What sort of world design ties into Drake Hollow? Uh, And is the world similar to our own in what ways?
2: Well, sort of our jumping off point was um, New England. We just wanted to make it sort of be... The idea is that it's sort of a fragmented mirror world of New England. Just because it's, let's see, how much do I want to go into the story stuff? There's some story stuff related to some very New England history that you uncover over the course of the game. So we really wanted to set it. Well, the setting tied into the story. I think the setting may have even come first, just because, you know, we found that making even a fantastical game like The Flame and the Flood, it helped a lot to just start from American South as like a, a key point that we build off of, because it, it just informs a lot of. The stuff that you're going to create and what you're going to find in the world and whatnot. So for this one, pretty early on, we were like, well, let's pick a new region. And then we're like, well, we're based in New England. So let's just try New England because we have no shortage of reference and ties to the area and whatnot. And that's that's sort of the starting point.
0: Nice. I do see a lot of people kind of work with what's around them like I'm currently in Juneau, and one of the first things I thought was cool is there's a game called Never Alone that's based on legends and stories of the native peoples up north in Alaska and so th- you can go play that in a museum here and I just thought that was really neat how they like the art kind of reflects where you are if you want to yeah. And, yep. like, if I were to sit down and write, like, a horror story or something, I would either set make it take place where I'm from in West Virginia or here where I'm at.
2: Both great horror settings.
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> Chance Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, right? <laughs> yeah. There's so many cool things in West Virginia, and Fallout 76 will tell you, just in a, a very broad swath, Like what that's kind of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what are some of the mechanics and gameplay features? I mean, we've touched about it a little bit in Drake Hollow. How you're really interested in kind of like how systems work. But what specifically are you most interested for Drake Hollow in this instance?
2: Well, I'll tell you the stuff that I'm I have the most fun with while playing it is just sort of balancing everything. Like that, there's a kind of a, a the economy of spinning your plates that's always going on where. The drakes have different needs and there's always things that you're going to want to build and hopefully things are always getting a little bit out of balance and maybe you're building up, you know, enough, enough improvements to your village that everything is good and you've got like plenty of water and entertainment and food and everything for the drakes and they're all happy, but you're going to keep finding crystals and aging them up. And then that means they need more food and more water and whatnot. So then like the thing that was perfect kind of gets out of balance and you need to start making decisions about like, oh, well, I've got all these really low tier improvements or something, but they're taking up space and I need to dismantle them and, and put in something more efficient. I just always liked sort of that. I always love that gameplay experience. Um, something I like in City Builders a lot is just kind of the the need to kind of constantly try and push things into balance and then your own choices kind of push them back out of balance, but then you want to just push them back into balance. I find that to be like a really fun process.
0: It's like managing a kitchen or, like, a fire or something, trying to keep everything in place.
2: Yeah, yeah. And also, the other thing that I like is the building out of rail networks around. And, you know, for folks that... How to describe this? You basically put down these um, crystal relays that you can connect and then, like, rail grind, essentially, throughout the world. And, And you could connect them up to supply trucks, and then they will automatically deliver supplies back to your camp that you use to build. So as a key part of this whole like keeping things in balance they fall out of balance is you need materials to build the stuff that keeps things in balance so that's how you do it as you range out into the world and then you find these trucks and you connect them up with these networks i always love that kind of like like learning a space and becoming like masterful of that space in that space yeah i think is a really satisfying experience and that i think that those like those rail networks were kind of another thing that we explored our way into And I'm really happy with how they've turned out.
0: It reminded me a lot of the recent release Death Stranding. How when you get to a point when you get the zip lines and you're like, oh, shoot, now I can get across the map super, super quickly. And it's the same case here in Drake Hollow. You can use that to kind of like fast travel to whatever island you may be working on. Yep. Yep. I like that system a lot. I think it's really cool.
2: Yeah. And actually similar to I mean, it's very different than Death Stranding in a million ways. But like, yeah, one thing that I liked about. I did not play a ton of Death Stranding, but one thing I liked about it is that it makes like traversal be an important part of the game. And it's something that like, we only have one form of fast travel. uh, And that's basically you can you can build a curio, which essentially is the teleport home curio, because sometimes there's like an emergency that you need to get back for quickly. Yeah. But aside from that, we didn't like we don't have portaling or fast traveling or anything like that, because I want people to kind of need to learn the space and and traverse through it and i want the like the time to have a cost associated with it
0: yeah once i figured out you could warp back home i would wait until the wave was coming in about a minute or two before that and then i would warp back dump off crystals and make sure everybody was good to go
2: yep 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 for sure
0: what is it about survival
1: games that you find the most compelling
2: i think what i like about survival systems is that they are something that we understand you know like we are biological creatures that have needs so like the idea of fulfilling those needs of like you know shelter and food and, and water and whatnot I think are really primal and I think that from a game design standpoint that gives you a great running start in terms of you know what people are going to understand when you build a system So I think that's something I like about them. I also like sort of the the versus nature aspect of it you know our last title was very much not a game with any combat um, this is very much not that there is a lot of combat. Mm-hmm. But I I do like sort of the the man versus nature struggle of survival. Like I think it's just something that's like a really compelling and interesting area to explore in different ways. And yeah, I definitely think. Well, I would not describe Drake Hall as a survival game. It definitely it's it's dancing around some of those same needs. Yeah, but I think like this one is less about like can you survive the wilderness, can you find the food you need or scrounge it or whatnot. And this is more like can you build for a community can you provide which i think is similar maybe less primal less deep than just like you know a starving person like eating a rat off the ground or something like that it's but,
0: certainly less lonely even me going and playing on my own like you've got the little guys that you got to take care of so and yeah. i'm always fascinated with things that are more cooperative in nature than competitive like the only yeah. online game i spend more time in is monster hunter and that's specifically because it's co- cooperative
2: yeah for sure
0: I have a feeling that those types of games also incite good community, so I'm I'm curious to see what people end up uh, kind of thinking about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> uh, one question I had when I was first starting the game, the character customization. Will you be adding more customization, uh, such as like with some of the clothing, are you all going to be doing callbacks to maybe the characters wearing the Flame in the Flood t-shirt or something that the company has worked on or just kind of an inside joke to where you all know it but we don't but we'll get it at some point
2: you know what i don't know why it has not occurred to me to put a flame the flood shirt in the game (laughs) (laughs) we actually we just got um the artist uh the musician who did our soundtrack they provided us with a number of of custom pieces to put on characters and we actually just launched a patch earlier today that added some more cosmetics so Yeah, that's the plan is to keep, you know, adding stuff to that, uh, to the drop pool of cosmetics. I'd love to start adding more wacky stuff down the line as well.
1: Yeah, I was wondering what that update was, because it's like, I'm gonna play it. Update. Okay, something's going on. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's just like,
2: some features, a lot of bug fixes, you know, the game's still in active development. So, you know, we're just kind of continuing to roll roll changes out as we get in feedback and everything
1: and i did see on social media and everything uh signing up for the newsletter uh, about a future beta or if that's already going on or not i don't know the exact date i just remember seeing and hearing about it
2: yeah uh for people who are interested if you just sign up for our mailing list uh we're going to be sending out invites to join a private beta for the game
1: oh nice very cool so everybody listening get ready yeah
2: yeah go uh give us your email addresses you can unsubscribe when it's done that's totally fine um <laughs> but yeah we're so it's only going to be on xbox uh so it's only for for the console folks for the moment but yeah this is the first look at very much what you guys have been playing um and having your hands on uh and we're just you know want to give a chance to get it out in the world and in particular hopefully have some people play multiplayer together and stress it a little bit and tell us how it's broken
0: <laughs> they will. Well, that's how it goes. You get speedrunners in there. I'll tell you what; they're the best bug catchers there are.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Oh heck! I've been watching a lot of those
1: videos to where it's like insert game. Person beats it in fifty minutes. You'll have like the developers on IGN and everything watching it. And it's like, how did he do this? And how did he break our game?
0: That's such yeah. a good concept. I love putting developers in front of speedruns and just let them watch it, especially if they haven't seen it before.
2: I'm guessing Drake Hollow will be, like, people will be able to get good at it and run yeah. it faster. But so much of it is just depends on travel times and drop rates and stuff that I don't think it's, it's there's no, like, wall glitching to the end.
0: What you'll see is people doing weird tricks. Because anytime you create a sandbox environment, somebody's going to make something neat. Well, yeah. One area that I'm always kind of interested in, because I, I feel like the things that we take part in, or the things we like, the things we're passionate about, that really can shape kind of the things we put into the world. So I'm curious, like, what sort of games are the inspiration or continue to kind of help shake Drake Hollow?
2: I mean, I think, like, a lot of the ones that I looked at were sort of ones that I was interested in that were less familiar design territory for me. Like, I've worked a lot in action games in the past, but, like, I think the games that I ended up looking at the most while doing design work for Drake Hollow would be, like, Oxygen Not Included, City Skylines, RimWorld, titles that are, like... At a glance, look very, very different than what Drake Hollow is, but there's a lot of systemic DNA that is shared um, between them. Right. So, yeah, those are kind of like the Frostpunk was another one. Spent a lot of time just sort of looking at how they handle just like resource balancing and acquisition and whatnot. And because in some ways, like that one's interesting, because in some ways the scale is very similar. Not in terms of number of units. Like they have, you know, many, many, many villagers. In the, in the little city of Frostpunk. But in terms of, like, the total number of structures you're dealing with and, like, the total balance of needs, I think it's actually um, pretty similar in many ways.
0: Right on. And then, kind of building off that, is there any particular, like, films or books or anything that the team as a whole is kind of fascinated by? Like, I
1: think the- we all
2: kind of have our own interests. Like, we have a pretty diverse group of interests between us. In terms of, like, the research stuff that I was doing, like, there's actually... The game ended up veering in kind of a different way than what a lot of the research had led us towards. Um, But there's still a lot of that in there. So there's a pretty big tie to like sort of Salem and witchcraft within the title. Right on. I guess that's not giving away that much. Like I think there's in the opening minutes, there's some strong indications that that's the case. What those are becomes clearer over time. But, you know, I did a lot of (laughs) watching of various... Witch movies ranging from like Practical Magic to The Witch. Oh, that Practical like Magic the, is
0: something else. We literally yeah. just watched that like a weekend ago for our like oh. movie club in our house. That is oh, a nice. weird
2: movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, I ended up doing like I live pretty close to Salem. So I ended up doing a lot of trips up there. And that kind of came about, too, from just learning some genealogy. I actually found out one of my ancestors was hanged as a witch. Oh, uh, wow. during Trials so you know and i'm close enough there i would go up pretty frequently i have friends that live in salem but it was cool to go up there with that context and like see the the gravestone of great to the 12x grandma um huh. <laughs> there
0: that's crazy
2: yeah it was like sort of a i mean it's not that rare like i did i did just some really conservative math on how many you know descendants of the of the hanged there would there would be and like assuming two kids per generation there's like a half million of us oh okay yeah. and if you go back 12 <laughs> generations they had a lot more than two kids <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah like, for even, sure even in my grandma's generation she was one of 12 so <laughs> yeah my dad's
0: one of nine <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, my great grandma
1: had like there was like 15 and i'm just like my gosh
2: yeah so if you if you extrapolate that there's like millions of people that were descendants because so many of the uh, women that were killed or older they were just like killed for because somebody didn't like them or because somebody wanted their land or
0: yeah you told me it was gonna be sunny today and it's pouring the rain (laughs) down
2: yeah yeah exactly
0: crazy stuff
2: yeah so that was sort of uh early influence um just a well even like as you're finding gem like crystals and whatnot to age up the drakes like they're it's loose it's super loose but like all the crystals like you did a bunch of research into like what their properties are Mm -hmm. and then those are very roughly mapped to like what the buffs are that the drakes give you like sort of what their affinities are oh cool but you know we need to be we need to be pretty loose because if you read about like you know the power of crystals and whatnot they tend to like every one of them you know has something to do with like healing or good fortune or like they all sort of fall into the same like relatively loose categories of um, (laughs) that like are able to chop down trees faster like does not really isn't a skill that quartz gives you <laughs> but like that, that is a skill that you know you get from a drake because like obviously their bosses need to be gameplay relevant yeah and they don't necessarily map one-to-one so there's definitely like a lot of vaseline lens kind of like well maybe if we think of it this way that kind of fits
0: it's cool but, that there's you know. roots there though I like that. Concept. Yeah, you know,
2: try and base it in something. Even if it ends up getting diluted down, it's so much better than just like made up nonsense. You know, it's yeah. it's like it's based on stuff. Nonsense um, is what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And that seems to have been the case for your previous title, too. And that interview I was listening to, it seems like there's a lot of research that goes into these projects, even though if it doesn't necessarily go directly into the game, it's just getting you guys in that right frame of mind for either that setting or those particular elements or like environment. Mindset. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it's like like uh, in the flame of the flood, there was very much there was system there was a system of afflictions, and you needed to have like real world quote unquote cures for them. Right. And you know like if you had an infection, you you need like if you've got a bacterial infection, you need penicillin. And in our case, like you leave food around long enough, it becomes moldy lump. You can cook it on a fire, and it becomes penicillin. Like that doesn't work but oh no um, (laughs) but you know in the game logic like generally people are like oh yeah mold penicillin like it's it makes enough sense that like we could see why that would happen
0: it's a logical jump that people will then interact with all
2: right so yeah yeah so you make a game like you start with with something that makes sense and then you pare it down until you've got a health bar and a a health pack
0: (laughs) yeah make it fun all right, so Drake Hollow is coming to Xbox One and PC this summer with the way things are currently. Are you guys still kind of in that target? Yep,
2: yep. Uh, we should okay. be announcing our actual release date soon. I do feel like that announcement needs the big heavy asterisk of but what is time even anymore? Right, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: So, But also I feel like if ever there's an environment where people will be forgiving of, of a date slip for one reason or another, now's it.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Definitely now is the time some folks definitely have impatience but you know what whatever and some people have a lot of time on their head to play Yep, but that's yep. true well too. And i
2: think yeah and and hopefully you know i think this is a, a great game to play with friends and i think that like that's something i tend not to be a big co-op gamer or really like i'll play online games but t- tend to just do like competitive games with randos um, but I've had like regular weekly gaming time with with friends and it's been a great way to connect when we can't actually get together and see one another. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited to launch a game that's about like building something together with your friends into an environment when like maybe people can't actually, you know, have time that they can spend directly with their friends. Like I think it I think it's a good it's a good fit for sort of the situation that we're in right now. And, and that makes me happy that hopefully hopefully we have something we can put something nice into the world at a time when some people could use it.
1: I mean, also look like Animal Crossing going on right now. It's getting a lot of people oh, yeah. where they can't go out to hang out with their friends. So it's, hey, let's visit each other's world and spend time together in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't feel secluded
0: from each other. That's the yeah. world's cutest social media. Yes.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: That Raymond though. Forrest, thank you so much for coming on to the show and not only getting us access to Drake Hollow, but just kind of hanging out with us and let us pick your brain for a little bit. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it as well.
0: Now, if people wanted to find your work or specifically you, go ahead and plug where you're at.
2: Well, I will plug because it's far more important than me. Uh, you can follow the Molasses Flood, which is the company on Twitter at Molasses Flood or Instagram. Sign up for our mailing list uh, and you'll be uh, getting an invite to a beta pretty soon. If you do want to follow just me, I'm at StuckBug on Twitter.
0: Very cool. And Andrew, go ahead and plug your stuff, man. Uh, You can find me at H2Oacidic on
1: Twitter. You can also find me and the rest of the Marooners Rock team over at MaroonersRock.com or Marooners Rock's Facebook page
0: and our new Discord. And we do have a link to that Discord as well as our own in the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening to this... There's a Google Doc that will be there for your convenience, and of course, if you do want to send an email to us here at Forever Classic, head it on over to the Forever Classic Podcast at gmail.com. I'm available pretty regularly over on Twitter at AC and then we do have a Twitch channel where lots of cool things are going on. Been a lot of Yakuza and some various indie games. We were spending some time with One Step from Eden the other day, me and Zach was. And I am absolutely fascinated with uh, Steam Remote Play with Friends. So that's something that you just might see more of on the Twitch channel by default. So anyways, thank you all for hanging out with us today. It's always been a pleasure to just spend some time and chat with some developers. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay cool.